1: This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all of you Good Humans and Happy New Year's. Welcome to 2022 Good Humans Podcast. My name's Cooper Chapman. I'm absolutely thrilled to be back recording and Excited for a big year ahead. 2022 is going to be a whole year of new goal kicking, new, lots of time with friends and family, uh, lots of podcasts, lots of mental health workshops for me and yeah, hopefully lots of good times to continue this amazing thing we call life. Big thank you to everyone who's tuned into in the pod. It's been really cool for me to change back over to producing, editing myself. A little bit different than old good humans used to be and it's been so so well received so a big thank you to everyone who's listened a big thank you to everyone who's shared it with their friends it means the absolute world to me because I know how much these conversations mean to me and it's really cool to know that these conversations are having a positive impact on lots of you amazing people out there all right on to today's episode this female beautiful beautiful girl is one of the most inspiring girls I've ever spoken to to be honest she has a story unlike any other she has been through the absolute ringer. She's had the most incredibly difficult upbringing I've ever heard about and the way that she's come through the other side and has this unbelievable mindset, this unbelievable zest for life. And yeah, I'm really, really proud and happy to have had this amazing conversation with her. So I'm going to jump straight into this chat. Welcome to Good Humors Podcast, Taylor Clement. How are you going? Thank you so much for
2: having me. Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thank you. How are you?
1: I'm very well. It's nice to be kicking off the year with first podcast of the year getting to have a chat to you. We did speak on the phone a little bit earlier today actually to go over a couple of things about how we can connect and how we can get you involved with the Good Human Factory and first step was to get you on Good Humans podcast to learn a little bit more about your story because it inspires the hell out of me and yeah I'm looking forward to letting our listeners hear all the amazing things that you've gone through in your life and all of the difficult things you've gone through in your life and how you've got to where you are today.
2: I'm super stoked to um, be on the podcast. Uh, when I first came across you on um, Chloe and Elodie's podcast, I was like, oh, I wonder if, like, he'll have me on. And then, like, we ended up connecting. You are like, oh, I was going to message you anyway. I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> so yeah. it worked out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very organic. Like you said, we kind of both connected on socials. And then literally the week after yeah. we connected, one of my favourite podcasts out there is Listenable with... Um, Dill Alcott and Angus McLaughlin. And they yeah, had the next week after I sort of looked around your Instagram and saw you yeah, had such a unique story, you popped up on their podcast. And that's one of my favorite podcasts because I think it's so important that we um learn about the disability community and have a better inclusivity with all people. And that's obviously what good humans is all about, trying to be the best humans we can be on this planet. And I heard your story and I was like, fire out, I need to get her on my pod. And here we are. So I guess let's go back to the start. Tell me about your childhood and growing up in over in beautiful New Zealand.
2: Yeah, so um, I was born uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, which is in the South Island of New Zealand. Um, and I was born with an extremely rare neurological disorder called no syndrome um, and basically what that means is it's facial paralysis so my sixth and seventh cranial nerves don't work so that means my eyebrows don't work my eye uh my eyes don't track from left to right and my upper lip doesn't move which means i can't smile um, and i also like to refer to it as free botox because it's essentially just free botox really <laughs> um, and um, it's super rare, it only affects one in every three to four million. Um, I think there's only a handful of us, like maybe three or four of us in New Zealand at the moment. Um, and because of that syndrome, I was also born with bilateral talipes, or clubbed feet, um, which is what enabled me to be a Paralympic athlete, which I'm sure we'll get into um, in a bit. Um, but basically, um, I was born with my feet bent up and touching the insides of my knees, um, and because of that, I've come to plasters and had a couple of operations. Um, before the age of about two, two and a half. And basically, the outcome of that was having little to no ankle movement and no calf muscles, um, which is what enabled me to be a Paralympic um, athlete. So, yeah, that was sort of like very early childhood. And then at three and a half, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So, I've been a diabetic for like 20, yeah, 21 years now because I just turned 24 in September. Um, And that obviously had its challenges, um, but technology is so amazing now. Like I can literally have my uh, blood glucose levels on my phone and like my phone will alert me when I'm going low or high. And now I'm on this new pump that if I'm going low, it will like completely stop the insulin without telling me. And if I'm going high, it will deliver insulin for me. Like I literally don't, sometimes I forget I have like that. I'm a diabetic. That's how like crazy technology is. So very grateful to live in a country where, um, medicine and uh, technology technology is so easily accessible because um, I know it's not like that around um, the world um, but yeah so that was very early childhood for me and grew up in a really awesome family mum and dad and um, a younger sister um, moved around the country that um, moved from Christchurch when I was about eight then moved to Wellington and um, And then lived there for two years, moved to Tauranga, lived there for like six years. And then I've been up in Auckland since the age of 16. So yeah.
1: (laughs) Busy life. So obviously living with a disability and a disability like yours as well, that is so visually obvious. I don't want to like come off mean, but you said, we spoke before and you said you don't get offended by anything, which is great. But because i because i know what school's like it's hard on the best of on the easiest of days for people with any (laughs) any kid has a tough time at school at some stages but i can imagine and hearing you speak at other on other podcasts and chatting to you this morning you told me how difficult school was for you at times can you give Mm -hmm. us a bit of a rundown on what let's go primary school or like early school first because i can imagine younger kids Bit different bullying once compared to once you get to a bit older so what was early school life like
2: um early school life I don't remember like too much of like the real early years like five or six but kind of as I got a bit older um I remember I'm not I can't like pinpoint when exactly I knew that I kind of just sort of realizing that I was a bit different I didn't know really in what way until I started getting called on called out on the fact that like I couldn't smile or righty righty right because um I think my parents like I'm very grateful to have the parents I have because they've never treated me any differently they've just told me to go out go after my dreams and do whatever and um you'll be all good <laughs> um, but um they never told me that well I don't know it's hard to put into words but they weren't they didn't make a point of the fact that I couldn't smile they were just like oh this is the syndrome that you have and um you know that I you know kids would say oh why aren't you smiling or why is your face like that or um uh why like do you look sad all the time and I think it definitely was a lot more noticeable when I was younger um I don't well (laughs) probably because I'm used to it but I don't think it's as noticeable now like people still pick up on it but um I think, yeah, when I was younger, it was a lot more noticeable. So kids, you know, kids being kids, they would, like, name calling, and say I was ugly or whatever. Um, and then as I got older and moved around a bit, you know, starting new schools is always hard for any kid. It doesn't matter what age you are or what you've got, quote, unquote, wrong with you. Um, it's always going to be hard. Um, but for me, it was a little bit more harder because... Um, obviously, with not being able to smile or make like, like emotions on my face, people probably just thought I was a bitch all the time, which I'm not. I'm not a bitch. Just to put it out there, I'm very friendly. Um, but people probably didn't like want to ask, or they just made assumptions, which is fine. Like people do what they've got to do. Um, but you know, as I got older, it turned into more physical bullying. So like around um, the age. Actually, we can back, track, I can back to the um, operation. Do you want to chat about that?
1: Yeah, yes. let's go back there. Whatever whatever you think the story needs to be told.
2: <laughs> so I had... So obviously growing up, I was bullied and told that I was ugly or whatever. And so I really struggled fitting in. Um, and I really wanted to fit in. I think, you know, any kid wants to be liked and have friends and wants their central attention, um, And so... Around the age of 11, 12, I was um, given an operation that was supposed to make me smile. And this operation was like so intense, like it was eight, nearly nine hours long, around eight and a half hours long. um, They took tissue from my right thigh and um, inserted it internally in the sides of my face so that the idea would be that when I clenched down, um, the corners of my mouth would turn up to um, mimic the smile. Um, And you know, it was completely my choice, even though like I was underage, my parents gave me full control, they were like, you can decide whether you want the surgery or not, and of course, going through everything I'd been through up until that point, and being like, sat in a surgeon's office and being told that this is a smile operation, um, you know, I was like, oh my god, of course I want to, of course I want to smile, because then I would be liked, because I always associated not being liked um, as the reason to why I couldn't smile, um, if it makes sense, like I always associated like not being able to smile is the reason why I wasn't liked, sorry. Um, and so I got the operation and sometimes I look at pictures after, and I'm sure you can like scroll down my Instagram and I can send you some pictures to um, put with the visuals cooper. Um, but like my face was so incredibly swollen, like literally looked like a puff of fish and it was bruising all over. Like I literally just looked like I'd been baited into a pole. Um and so not only did I have to go back to school looking like that, the surgery was unsuccessful and my swelling didn't go down for a good year. So I also had to start a new school looking like a puffer fish and with like bruises all over me. So starting a new school, not being able to smile and also looking like you've been beaten um, like is not a great recipe <laughs> to making friends and being accepted. So that was super hard. Um, and then yeah kind of this is kind of when shit started hitting the fan for lack of a better term um and yeah just uh yeah so year seven um again got name called didn't have any friends was literally like live monitor would sit outside by myself at lunch um and just sit there the whole lunchtime just I don't even know what I'd do to be honest I don't really even remember um year eight Um, I made a few friends but then other people would tell that group of friends not to be friends with me and so then I'd have to go and make new friends Um, and I remember telling my teachers one time that you know this was happening and the following day I was cornered in the bathroom and like had my head smashed against the bathroom mirror and told that if I was to tell teachers again then it would be like I'd get hurt worse so (laughs) I learned pretty quickly not to tell anyone about what I was going through which included my parents um and then yeah so got started getting pushed down hills got my bags ripped off my back lunch box would get ripped out of my backpack um would get so like when I'd be walking upstairs I'd get my knees kicked in from behind um, and so like I'd get grazes on my knees and everything and I'd just tell them that I tripped over or whatever in PE class or whatever um, and then the around the age of 13 or 14 is when I um, first experienced sexual assault and rape um, and was experienced that between the ages of like 14 to 16 and was also exposed to porn from a really young age as well and so that so porn mixed with like the sexual assault and rape really affected um, my relationships with other people as I was growing up um, which isn't always great and when you're Then called a slut for something you you didn't want to do in the first place, it like knocks your confidence quite a bit as well. And so when you're already lacking confidence because of something you can't change in terms of my smile, and then having all of that, it's like it was like quite a lot. Um, and I don't really know. Like people ask me how I got to it, and I was like, you know what? I actually don't know. Sometimes, um that yeah moved up to Auckland at age of 16 and kind of like was like I was saying to you earlier Cooper I was exhausted all the time like wasn't sleeping properly um, you know just like was honestly exhausted all the time it didn't matter how much sleep I could get I was always so tired. Um, I looked at photos of myself and I was so pale um, which is scary to think about. Um, and then kind of fast forward to my last year of school. Um, so 18 and uh, it's kind of when things again started hit, ship hitting the fan um, and I experienced like some dizziness um, and like disorientation at the start of that year and then a few months later I had a really big um, seizure and collapse and was taken into hospital got all these tests done like MRIs, ECGs, CT scans like the works um, and they couldn't find any. Thing. And so they discharged me the following day. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, I had another seizure and a collapse, and they took me in again, and still nothing was wrong. And then a couple of weeks after that second one, I started collapsing more often so like every other day or maybe twice on one day and then like a three-day gap, and then another two or whatever and then by the time of about uh, October I want to say of that year um, I was having up to eight or nine seizures and collapsing a day um, and so I was in and out of hospital for a good year um, well most of that year and then going into 26, then they couldn't figure out what it was and then I was finally diagnosed with um, extreme clinical depression and anxiety with post-traumatic stress disorder and disassociative attacks which is what the collapsing and seizures were and basically what was happening is my brain was under so much stress and pressure from not only the depression and anxiety but also the trauma that i have been through growing up. that my brain was shutting down so um, I'm lucky to be alive in that sense so yeah that's sort of like my life
1: oh, growing up <laughs> I mean, first of all thank you so much for sharing it's really special the way that you can talk about your experience now and
2: no, I know so many
1: all. so many people get so much out of listening to your story that are going through terrible situations themselves and hopefully there's some kids who are bullies out there who listen and realize the impact that it can have one thing I want to touch on looking <laughs> back to it through school what sort of support did you have or what sort of lack of support do you think you had? Do you think there was a lack of support in the way of say psychologists after you had your first suicide attempt? Was there working with psychologists with your parents or was it quite a private and scary thing to go through alone?
2: Oh, it was a hundred percent private. Like I said, you know, I learned the hard way not to tell teachers about my bullying and stuff and um I lied to my parents so much like I never told them anything that I was going to because I was so scared because like kids would also say that my parents didn't love me or that I was a mistake and that my parents didn't want me or whatever and so when you are already in a vulnerable state and you're also super young um have believed it I did because these people were my peers um and even though they were horrible to me I still believed everything they told me that I was or that um they said about me so I never told my parents about anything that I was going through and it wasn't until I had my seizures that like my mum and dad kind of figured out what had happened and you know throughout the um like recovery journey and recovery period I slowly told them things about what had happened and stuff but I don't think I'll ever tell them fully like a hundred percent everything that happened to me because I don't want them to think it was their fault because Mm. um I could not live with that like there's nothing that they could have done like I made the decision at the end of the day not to tell them um and whether that was through fault of my own or through believing other people I just made that decision so um if they didn't know then they don't need to know now but they're so supportive of me they know like how open I am now with what I'm going through and um, so the support's there now, but the support definitely wasn't there when I was um, going through all of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, such a trooper to still be here and being able to share your story and inspire others and have the confidence now to share your story is a really special thing. We You touched on before when we were having a chat, what happened your second last year of school. Can you talk me through that situation? Because that's something that nobody should ever have to go through, but also something that I think kind of sets up <laughs> yeah. your for post-school
2: yeah so um I got into so when I was this was when I was living in Auckland and you know like I wagged school quite a bit because um like in my last couple of years because like I just like I had no like when I say I had no will to live like I literally just did not want to be alive like every single day I'd wake up and I'd think holy shit why am I still here um and so I would kind of like just coast through school like my grades were so shit um, and so you know I'd like just I'd like know people but I wouldn't have like actual friend groups so like I'd go from friend group to friend group or whatever anyway at the end of near the end of my second to last year at school I got involved with a group of people that unbeknown to me at the time because I'm probably a bit oblivious and naive um they were into drugs and stuff and they were probably doing this before I even noticed but one lunchtime, I just remembered um, I was sitting around having lunch and they just pulled out weed and started smoking it and I was like oh, that's not a bit of me I'm just gonna exit and carry on with my day um, and nothing happened that day they were cool with it they didn't think anything of it but the following day I was in class and I got called into the principal's office and I knew like I'm not sure what it was but I knew exactly um, what I was going to that principal office for I was like holy shit like I don't know what's going to happen like my parents are going to kill me um and I got into the office and she was like um uh, the principal was like has he been smoking weed and I was like no I promise I haven't I haven't like I'm so sorry it wasn't me I promise <laughs> and she was like oh no i wasn't you um we know it was your friends and I was like oh okay and she was like now you can either get ex-, like this was pretty much blackmail like <laughs> let's call it for what it is um, but she was like you can either get expelled or you can essentially rat on your friends and they'll get expelled and like that put me in such a like morally hard situation because like, I would never want to get someone else in trouble like, I'm not sure how many people would to be fair but in that situation I was like I was honestly thinking like do I bring more attention to myself and what I'm going through or do I continue to escape and get the easy easy route and get other people in trouble and like I sat with it for like ages and I I finally told the principal that it was the friends and who it was um, and the following day they got expelled <laughs> um and like I felt so shit about it and then the following day after that so it's now Friday now and this first taken on the Tuesday um and the stress that was running through my body honestly let me tell you I was so stressed um I'm walking out of school and I'm about to walk out of one exit and I don't know what it was but something told me to go out the other exit so I was like, that comes that the other exit anyway I get out the other exit, I look up the road um, to where the other exit is that I would have been walking out of. And there were three guys in gang jackets just standing there. And I was like, oh shit, like this is what's about to happen. Anyway, I go to my bus, get on my bus. The principal calls me and she's like, Taylor, are you okay, where are you? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm on the bus going home. And she was like, are you safe, are you hurt? Like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, why? And she goes, there are people looking for you with knives. And I was like, "Oh, okay, thank God I didn't go out that exit, <laughs> so yeah, that was pretty crazy, and, and that
1: was because those friends had um, they got expelled, yeah them. yeah, oh,
2: yeah. Was- it was crazy, yeah. Cra- craziest probably like out of everything I've been through i would put that up there in the top three craziest experiences of my life like the adrenaline that was running through my body when I saw like, I knew exactly what they were doing here I knew they were related to the girls that like I was like friends with and oh, like honestly you know when you get that like like choke in your throat like mm-hmm. when you're about to like vomit or like cry or something or there's so much adrenaline going through your body that's what I felt and I was like oh my god
1: yeah, how did the situation de-escalate? Did the school expect to them?
2: Um, I didn't. uh I, I'm not entirely sure what happened with like the gang members and everything. Um, but. The situation didn't de- really de escalate at all. The kind of rumours started going around the school and everything, and like the rumours were right because I did rap on my mm-hmm. friends, but like they had like you know how people just like add fuel to the fire and like create more like add more to the story that isn't true, and so then I was sort of like isolated again the following year because apparently I was the girl that like told on people, which wasn't the case at all. But like, I mean, I had more going on that year that I needed to worry about other than what rumors were going around the school.
1: Yeah. And it's like, like you said, your health problems came from all this overload of stress and anxiety that and depression that you've yeah. been for so long. So and then And you- do you know what
2: when you sorry, when you put it that way, I reckon I was probably holding on by a very thin thread for a very long time and I reckon that situation probably is what kind of just started escalating the health problems in terms of the like um seizures and everything because like, I'd been really bad mentally for like a long period of time like I'm not talking two or three years I'm talking like at least eight or nine years um and so the fact that I was able to hold on for that long is insane but I definitely think that situation is what sent me over the edge
1: mm, yeah it's it's wild how difficult your upbringing was and just that you're here today and that you're sharing your story like I said I'll, I'll keep saying it all podcasts it's it's an unbelievable story that you're still here fighting and you have the I was gonna say the smile on your face today that's probably not the right term to use but the amazing zest for life I do
2: though you I do, do have yeah. a smile
1: on my face you do <laughs> <laughs> but just, like your zest for life and your Personality just oozes happiness and confidence, and it's so sad to think that it wasn't there for so long, and had to be hidden behind the cruelness of bullying of school. So mm. let's talk about when you finish school. Or you said you got kicked out of school. I think is yeah. another that you got kicked out of school because uh, yeah. you're having. <laughs> so let's talk about that stage of your life from getting kicked out of school. You can explain why, but then from going to see a psychologist, getting help. We'll say in speech bubbles and. Yeah. What sort of advice they gave you and what sort of, I, I'm super intrigued by someone who's had such a difficult story like yours. What was the initial advice from a psychologist and from working with somebody?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so I got kicked out of school and I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it to anyone, but like I do like to say that I was kicked out of school. But basically I was kicked out of school because of the seizures that I was having and like their reasoning was that um I was a risk to other students by having the seizures, which was so backwards. And now that I think about it, it like sort of makes me a little bit angry, but at the same time like I definitely think I needed to not be at school. So like very happy that it happened. Couldn't care less at the time because <laughs> I'd hated school. Um, but yeah, so kind of was kicked out of school. Then a couple of weeks later, um, I started going in and out of hospital for I want to say at least a good year. Um, and then the following year, like I said in 2016, I was diagnosed with extreme clinical depression, anxiety with post-traumatic stress disorder, and then the dissociative attacks. Um, I when I was initially diagnosed in like March of 2016, I was immediately put on um some sort of medication. Couldn't tell you what it is, I've completely forgotten. I was on it for two weeks um and those two weeks were wild. I ended up taking like I do not recommend this at all if you are I've got on medication, but I took myself off my medication by myself and never touched them again because the hallucinations and just it was crazy like those two weeks just I don't know what was happening but I was probably worse than when I went on to medication um so I went off medication and was put into intensive therapy for a good year like up to three um therapy sessions a week for a good period of time um talked through a lot of the stuff which really helped um and then um sort of did therapy on and off um after that year for another year and a bit um but then I said I didn't need therapy anymore that I was fine doing it on my own um and at the end of like my, my last well, uh, like in the lead up to my last few therapy sessions the therapist told me that um I was never going to fully recover in terms of my seizures and collapses that I was happening because my um brain was still under so much stress and that it would never get rid of the stress and that um, I was always going to be dependent on my parents and that I was never going to be able to drive again and I was never going to do this, never going to do this, and never going to do that and I was like holy shit that's a lot to take in when you're just about turning 20 and like you're supposed to be starting like the best years of your life and you're being told that you're never going to have full independence again Um, and so I at first I'll be honest at first I did listen to it and I was like shit I'm going to be just a blog at home for the rest of my life Um, and then kind of sat with it for a couple of weeks and I sort of just realized because at this time I was like watching a lot of like inspirational videos on YouTube and stuff and like reading things here and there and I sort of just realized that and it came back to like that quote I told you about earlier like the quote if you if you think you can or if you think you can't you're right and I sort of sat with that for a bit and I was like wow like that's so true and even though I'm being told that I can't do all these things by a medical professional it's up to me if that makes sense so I started I started the journey of like self-help um and when I say I worked my ass off for like at least a solid year like I'm telling you day in day out it did not matter what I was feeling on that day whether I was in tears whether I was exhausted whether I felt like I couldn't go on like I got up and I did the work and I did the work every single day because I just knew that if I continued doing it and if I made it a habit like everything else it would get easier like I had made a habit of thinking in such a negative way that I was so good at it and I was like okay well if I flip that and if I make a habit of like thinking positively and thinking positive things about myself and my life and what I can do and what I can't do, then it will become a habit and I'll be good at it. And I hadn't read anything at that point about that, but something inside me was just like, okay, if you go with this and run with it, it will work. Um, and it did work.
1: Yeah. Speaking of doing the work and putting in the hours every day, what kind of things were you doing? Because I think that there, there will definitely be people out there listening who feel so lost and, I mean, I can't imagine there's many that have had as difficult as a uh, situation upbringing as you. But for somebody who's out there quite lost and thinking like there's no real light out of the tunnel, what kind of things were you doing and what were the most helpful things for you, especially after being told by medical professionals you're not going to be able to go on a date without your parents there. You're not going to be able to do anything and look at you now, like we'll get to where you're at now. But what sort of things did you do to help yourself and to get yourself out of that dire situation?
2: Mm. well it's funny you ask because you know how you've got the one percent good club yes it was sort of it was sort of just like that for me, just 1% every day. And like I, like when I say I did not miss a day, I did not miss a day. It didn't matter if it was my birthday. didn't matter if it was someone else's birthday. didn't matter if it was the weekend. Like I did something. Like it literally started as small as just going for a 20-minute walk every day. Like that's all it was. It honestly just started as me doing a 20-minute walk every single day without fail. Um, and as time went on, I added more things. So maybe turning up to like a 30-minute walk or a 40-minute walk each day. Day. and then also adding in making sure I drink at least three liters of water a day so that's two things on a checklist and then once I felt really good and solid and that, I added another thing so maybe it was like reading one page of my book or two pages of my book because like I was still recovering from like a pretty bad spout of mental health and so like, I was still getting like quite tired easily so I was like okay I can't rush this at all like, I've got to be really sensible about this um And I think having like an athlete background as well, like in terms of like the discipline, I think any athlete will know that when you're an athlete from a young age, discipline is like, it's, pretty hard to not have when you're an athlete so I think discipline really played a huge part in that as well and um just as time went on I added more and like like come coming to today like the things that I like have in my one percent club which is probably now like a 95 percent club like I get like I, so I get up at like 10 to 6 I do a 15 minute hit workout I go for my walk along the beach a 3k walk along the beach I come back have my breakfast do my like actual workout which is anywhere from like 25 minutes to 40 minutes Um, and then I do meditation I do gratitude work like my day is like literally filled with little things throughout the day that I know that even if something goes wrong I'll still be okay because I have those fundamental blocks that are just there and I know that they're there and I know that they're going to help me no matter what if that
1: yeah. makes sense yeah yeah your maturity and self-awareness around the topic is second to none and it's unbelievable mm-hmm. especially from being told that you're going to be struggling forever basically by a psychologist it baffles me that that is the answer sometimes or <laughs> well, <not> the <laughs> answer. Much, that, yeah. that is the answer that you give to it under the age of 20-year-old girl, that that's your life. And for you to yeah, come up with...
2: probably going just on 20, yeah. Uh,
1: for you to have the maturity and the self-awareness to start adding those things and to have the understanding that it's not going to happen in a day. It's not going to happen in a week. It might take a year, it might take two years, it might take five years. But if I'm always getting better... Oh, yeah. Uh, habit Stacking is a really good book um, called Atomic Habits by James Clear yeah. about just adding a new little habit on top of another one and you can build... Yeah the life that you want around you if you start taking little steps in the right yeah. direction.
2: Yeah. Sorry, to put it to put it into perspective, I've been on this like self-help journey for four years now. but like I'm 24 and I started this journey around probably just going on 20, maybe just after. So it hasn't happened overnight and I've probably seen the most progress in the last year to year and a half. Um and I just never gave up and I'll continue Mm. to not give up and I'll continue to add things to my day where I see fit or where um, I think something needs to be added. But again, I think it just comes down to one, never giving up and two, having the belief that, um it doesn't matter what is thrown your way you can get through anything and if (laughs) if I think I'm living proof of that and if I can do it then I think anyone can do it and like I don't want to toot my own horn at all and I hate like (laughs) being so like oh if I can do it anyone can do it but I'm not special at all like yeah I've been through some shit stuff in my life and um I shouldn't be alive and all this sort of stuff that like I just did it. There's no magic recipe. I just did it and put in the work and um yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's it's so beautiful your story to see where you're at now and the mindset that you carry is so, so inspirational. And I know so many people will get a lot out yeah. of it. You touched briefly on sport and being an athlete and discipline. Let's talk about your sporting mm-hmm. career because there's some pretty cool um, stuff that you've done. <laughs>
2: Yeah Um, so I was a swimmer, uh, a Paralympic swimmer from the age of about 10 or 11 um, and kind of was exposed to professional sport around the age of I want to say 14 like so I was super young Um, and I think that's the benefit of being a Paralympic athlete. You can get into being a professional athlete at a young age and carry it throughout your life to quite a um, older age compared to like able bodied athletes. Um, anyway, so I was a swimmer for, um, since the age of 10 or 11, um, competed for New Zealand, got to wear the silver fern on my chest, which is always such an honour. Um, and uh, I think my biggest competition was uh, the Pan-Pacific Games over in LA in 2014. Bearing in mind, I was still like, this 2014 was probably pretty much near the peak of how bad my mental health got. So sometimes I look back and I was like, what were you doing? Yeah, how are
1: you like, telling like that? Like, you were
2: one crazy woman. <laughs> I don't know. I I, To be fair, I was pretty good at, like, hiding what I was going through and, like, just putting on a gray face and being like, everything was going, like, everything was okay. But, like, I'd be in training sometimes, like, thank God for goggles. Like, all I'm saying is thank God for goggles because I would be bawling my eyes out <laughs> in the middle of training, like, my goals would be <laughs> with tears. And I'd be like, I can't see. I don't know where the wall is, but I'll be fine. Um, but yeah, got really good at hiding it. Anyway, had to quit swimming um, beginning of 2017 due to all the therapy that I was in and everything. Um, and then um, end of 2017, I got asked to come and give shot put a go. Um, so athletics. So I turned up to um, the athletics track um, got a shot put and the guy literally was just saying and he was like just throw it like you did in primary school and I was like you do realize I just stood at the front of the circle and chucked it and he's like Yeah, just do it and I was like okay all good here we go so I stood at the front of the circle and just gave it a good throw I was like oh well whatever happens happens right so threw it and he like looked at me and looked down the shot put and looked back at me and he was like oh and then he got on his phone and started texting people. I was like, listen, I'm really struggling with my anxiety right now. I need some info. What's happening up in that brain of yours? Let me know. Verbalize what you're doing because I'm about to shit my pants. Um, anyway, he got on his phone and a couple of minutes later, two other people came over and he was like, okay, throw it again. And I was like, well, there's a bit more pressure now like three more people okay so stood before the circle and did it again they measured it and he was like you've just broken the new zealand record in your classification and i was like oh okay that's nice like okay <laughs> didn't think too much of it. it was just like okay and then he was like okay when can we get you in for a training session I was like I'm not doing much apart from therapy at the moment so whenever um and so he we met up a couple of days later and we he like gave me a training session everything and then the next week had a training session and on that next training session he was like oh by the way you're going to um Melbourne in February to compete with New Zealand team I was like no I'm not like there is no way you're getting me on that plane um and anyway, ended up going. So this was February of 2018. Competed, at, competed at the Victoria State Champ. Bearing in mind, I've never competed a day in my life in shot put. Anything outside of swimming, i would never done before. So I rocked up to this finals competition. Um, there were like at least 20 competitors competing there, which was actually super cool to be able to like to meet heaps of people um, and be a bit outside of my comfort zone. Anyway, did my three throws and started taking my shoes off because I was like, there's no way I made the top eight. Anyway, they're like, oh, Taylor, keep your shoes on. You made the top eight. And I was like, oh. I, was like I don't, <laughs> don't want to be here any longer than I need to be. And they're like, you made the top eight, so put your shoes back on. I was like, okay. So I put my shoes back on, did my last three throws. And then I was like, sweet. I'm all done (laughs) go put my other shoes back on and off I go and they were calling out the names from eighth to first and my name wasn't an eight and I was like oh my god I've been disqualified I was like I've literally been disqualified how embarrassing and I was standing around like trying not to make eye contact with anyone because I was so embarrassed I thought I'd been disqualified Anyway, they get to four and my name still hadn't been called out. And I was like, I've for sure been disqualified. Um, anyway, they call out third and second. And I was the only person left. And I was like, someone is messing with me right now. Um, anyway, they call out my name and first. And they are like, yo, Taylor, you got first. And I was like, shit. Like, how? Like, are you sure? Or like, can you check it, please? Because I don't want to get up to that podium and get a medal that isn't mine. Anyway, they checked it. And they're like, yeah, you won. And I was like, oh, my God, okay. So they, then they take me over to the medal ceremony, ceremony and everything. And they were like, I, they called out my name for first. And then they were like, and Taylor's also just become world number one in her classification. And I was like, oh, okay, this is where it's going now. Like, this is great. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was a pretty crazy couple of months. And then um, all the 2017 trained full time along with doing therapy still um beginning of 2018 had the New Zealand National Championships um had had a really shit time with training changed coaches two weeks out from the competition and everything which again sent my anxiety into like an absolute flurry <laughs> like when I tell you I was like overthinking everything and like having mental breakdowns of the front and center <laughs> I looked back and I was like, wow, you need to chill out, Taylor. (laughs) Um, But yeah, rocked up to nationals and literally had the mindset of, well, there's nothing else I can do now, just got to do it. Um, So did my throws and everything and ended up not only qualifying for Worlds, but breaking the world record in my classification. And then a couple of weeks after that, I got injured and couldn't go to Worlds and then made the decision a couple of months later to quit just due to but in June also some other internal stuff, um, politics and everything, and um, like I was saying to you earlier, I like 100% value my well-being, both mentally and physically, and everything else over any medal or record or world number one or whatever, um, and I've been pretty happy with that decision ever since, and yeah.
1: It's, it's such a crazy story though, <laughs> hearing that story is just baffling how obviously talented you are, but Yeah, it's just wild to hear that story on how quick you became so successful in shot put and in your division. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I also like the way that you put your mental health and your well-being over being an athlete. Because, I mean, looking back, this is kind of something when I was listening to that, do you think maybe with swimming and with shot put and sport, it did give you that little bit of purpose that kept you kind of, you know I mean? If you
2: you didn't hear that,
1: do you think you'd be in a harder spot than you were. I mean not that it wasn't easy spot you're in, but
2: let's put it this way. If I yeah, if I didn't have swimming, because when I was swimming, I was going through like the guts of my mental health stuff. And like while I was swimming I had all of my six suicide attempts. But if I didn't have swimming, um I don't want to say I know this for sure, but I really don't think I would be alive if I didn't have that sport background. Um, I'm not sure why I couldn't tell you why I think that it's just like a gut feeling that I have. Um, but being an athlete has taught me so much and I don't think we'll ever leave. Like I probably train harder now. Like I write my own program stuff. I probably train harder now than I did ever when I was being like a professional athlete, which is crazy. But I think now versus back then, I have that drive to want to better myself. And being like athletic now and training now it doesn't, I don't do it for my physical health at all. Like the physical benefits are amazing, but being able to get through like a tough training session helps me mentally more than anything. Because it's like, okay, if I can get through that and if I can push my body beyond what I think it can, then mentally I can do anything
1: as well. Yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful mindset you've got. And like I said, to the, your story to where you are now is so, so amazing. And it's so beautiful to be able to have this conversation with you. Let's move to the last little segment let's go to where you're at now what, what's the plans coming up this year what do you see your next couple of years being obviously the world we're living in is changing so quickly but I can see how passionate you are to try and help other people who are going through difficult situations so what's yeah. the what's the future vision for Taylor?
2: Um, well I really only started taking like my presence on social media seriously in like the last like when I say seriously I mean like really pushing like the messages that I want to push um for like the last year and like I've grown a pretty good community so far so would really love to be to keep that going um I'm already working with such incredible brands and would love to be able to continue that um I've got some really cool media opportunities coming up um which I've chatted to you about a little bit um and I in someone that if I'm not 100% committed to something then I won't do it at all but I know for sure that this is what I'm supposed to be doing like talking about mental health and sharing my story with others as much as I like I really don't enjoy talking about myself at all and I get like so like cringed out when I hear myself talking about myself like on podcasts and stuff and um but I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing and again I couldn't tell you how I know I just had this gut feeling and this drive to continuing bettering other people's lives through my own story um, and the responses that I get from people when I share my story is just like unbelievable like it really blows my mind just how much people can get from my story and like it's such an honor to be able to come on podcasts like yours and chat to community that are so passionate about mental health and share my own story with mental health and so you're just continuing to do that hoping like once the borders open here in New Zealand I'll be able to come over to Australia um, again and yeah just I've got some big big goals and I'm hoping I'll be able to hit them soon and I guess
1: when I know, you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm excited to see the journey because obviously you've come such a long way and with the mindset and drive that you've obviously got now, it's going to be really exciting to see where you can go. And I'm very excited, I guess, to announce, we chatted before, but to have you on as a good Human Factory ambassador, yeah. first first overseas ambassador, I think. I'm going to have a look. But no, it's... Um...
2: Ooh,
1: how exciting. <laughs> go New Zealand. <laughs> go New Zealand. <laughs> I do have a lot of great New Zealand friends. So yeah, I just think your story is so... <laughs> important to share but also can inspire so many people who are in that place of losing hope because there's So many stories you hear time and time again, where just by hearing a story that inspires someone can really change somebody's perspective and change somebody's mindset on not that they have it worse or I've got it better or worse. Like we're all on our different journey, and Mm -hmm. the advice that you get sometimes isn't always the right advice. And you're the perfect example of that with your advice that you got from the medical industry. So I think the more we can have conversations in mental health and look at it from more than the one dimensional go and get help get offered something that's a solution I think we can learn from other people's stories so much be inspired by and just understand that like you said if you think you can or you think you can't you're right so that's um yeah really awesome to have this chat but the last question I always love to ask everybody on Good Humans podcast is what does being a good human mean to Taylor Clement?
2: Now I want to be 100% honest and so I have pre- thought my answer because I've listened to your podcast with Till and Chloe and like Harry and all the people and I was like okay I need to think of a good one um, but it came, it came to me pretty easily actually and I think being a good human to me means having no judgment at all when it comes to yourself or others I think this world that we live in especially accelerated don't get me wrong I love social media and I will always say that I love social media I think it's like Instagram TikTok I think they're all incredible platforms to push these messages that we're talking about but I think there's a lot of judgment that is accelerated by social media and I think um there's so many amazing people people out there that we're missing out on just simply by judging a book by its cover um so for me being a good human is living without judgment of ourselves and others and just being kind to one another smile at people I forget I can't smile sometimes and I'll be walking down the road and I'll smile at someone and it's half the time I don't even think they realize just because like, I just do it and I think um yeah just be kind to one another
1: I love that even just a smile energy I'm sure you walk past people even if they might not be able to visually see a smile like I can just talking to you and spending a couple of hours chatting to you today from the hour here on this podcast to earlier today having a chat your personality and I'm sure people listening to the podcast will know that you're smiling the whole time because you have such a great such a great energy and such a great zest for life considering the situations you've had to go through in life I think you should be really proud and I'm, I'm so grateful and um yeah, humbled to be able to have this chat with you and excited to see what we can do together with the Good Human Factory because I know I'm inspired as hell by your story and I'm sure other people will be too and can, can't wait to continue to grow and share that story as yeah we move on as, through our lives
2: yeah well thank you so much for having me
1: thank you so much that's Taylor Clement, everyone this has been a Wellbeing Network podcast <laughs>